namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uttang dhammang sangang namasami So I've been asked to discourse on uh, breathing, mindfulness of breathing, and uh, uh, someone brought this title up, Standing Like a Tree, Breathing Like a Buddha, uh, with the uh, recognition that in often when I teach mindfulness of breathing, I, I use the standing meditations, and I've incorporated a certain um, degrees of system called Qigong, which you're probably familiar with, uh, the Chinese uh, traditions, which can be used in a range of ways for healing, for martial arts, but I essentially use it as a a way of steadying energy and also giving people a more complete experience, direct experience of the energy system in their body and how this connects to their breathing. I found this a very um, helpful mm, connection mm. that is breathing as, a, as an energy no, it's not just the air which is the breath no, it's movement of air and the sensations that arise as the air touches the nostrils or the pressure of the air pushes the chest open that's certainly part of it but also the reason why we breathe in the first place, why the body breathes, is to get some energy. So if you run, your breathing speeds up. And if you calm down, your breathing slows down. If you, go, if you lie down to sleep, your breathing quiets down. So it's very much associated with moderating the bodily energy. Um, we might also notice that when we're emotionally excited, or angry, it changes our breathing. And certainly when we meditate and become calmer, breathing is very quiet and soft. So this breathing then seems to affect both the body and the mind. Uh, and so this uh, is the, to me, is the link which makes mindfulness of breathing, gives it a very realistic um, reference to a quality that does both affect, calm, steady, refresh and regenerate our bodily experience and give the mind a pleasant abiding place to attend to and also it moderates and checks our emotional um, life by which I don't just mean you know, um, the emotions themselves but the energy of emotion when I was stirred up, passionate agitated, uh, very um, jumpy energy, when your mind jumps from this to that, all this we call this the emotional, the energy of chitta, the energy of the awareness, the chitta, the heart. So um, when one looks at the uh, life of the Buddha and in his teachings on Anapanasati, then we cause to consider this in general and in detail. 
So as we know, the, the Buddha, before he was enlightened, he uh, uh, began to contemplate aging, sickness, death. Uh, therefore, this is the problem of the body. Aging, sickness, death, this body dies. Uh, sickens. So there's a sense of real um, world weariness of the body, physicality, corporeal realm, distaste for it. And so, in accordance with that inclination, he took up um, an ascetic form of life, uh, giving up home, family, and and associated with other people of ascetic dispositions, people who would fast or limit their food or not cut their hair or not wash their bodies or cut their nails, um, smear their bodies with ash, you know, go through these physical austerities. Um, in order to liberate themselves from the body, from the fleshly concerns of the body. The idea being, if you you were able to suppress the body, then the mind or the soul or the Atman would escape, get out of it. You'd be able to suppress it and get out of that. And he um, he was very determined, and apparently he could do this rather well. And he had a couple of teachers... Alara Kalama and Uddhaka Ramaputta, who were leading teachers in their own right in those days, and he studied under them. And through studying under them, he was able to bring his mind, his awareness to these formless states, they called Arupa, uh, things such as the uh, sphere of no th- nothingness and the sphere of infinite consciousness and the sphere of neither perception or non perception. You don't really have to understand these right now anyway because they're probably not big issues for you. Um, but they're, they're really uh, very refined mental states where the experience of body isn't there. And the Buddha as a bodhisattva, as an un- unaccomplished aspirant, managed to master these to a high degree, to such an extent that his teachers said, oh, you know, you're the same level as I am. And he still wasn't satisfied because he go into these states, then he came back to these for this from these very refined states. He came back to this ordinary bodily existence. He says, "Well, so you know, I'm back here again. You know, I haven't really solved this. I've just you know gone out, but I've come back to this again." And then he began starving himself till he was barely eating anything at all. Became extremely emaciated, trying to and even suppressing his breath according to his his own descriptions he said well if I try and even stop breathing in and out until he said the pain in my body was so great and my body was so skinny and the heart was pumping but I still managed this suppression of the breathing he said nobody could have done more than I have done to try and suppress this bodily experience (laughs) Physically, food, even down to breathe, even down to breathing, try to suppress that. And he said, "Still, you know, I'm still not. I feel I have not realized my goal, the deathless." And then he reviewed, and of course, the different stories of that. One was that the Sujata, the the young village girl, offered him some milk rice, and he gained a little bit more health and vitality. And certainly the, the, the general theme is he returned to something more natural, more natural rather than uh, contrived. 
and in his story, his account, he says, I remember when I was a, just a young boy, I was sitting under the shade of a tree, and it's cool, in the heat of the day, and I could see my father plowing the field, I felt, so he must have felt comfortable, reassured, his, his father's out there, sitting under the shade of a tree, sitting quite peaceful, quite secluded, not bothered with sensory uh, distractions, uh, just feeling this breathing in, breathing out. It's calm, peaceful. So this is not nothing wrong with this. This isn't uh, low. This isn't ignoble. This isn't bound with passion. It's just breathing and breathing. And maybe this is a way. So he picked up the theme. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, in and then so he, he through this theme picked this up and uh, according to this his account we, this was the path to his awakening purified the mind of uh, sensuality and also of its opposite asceticism, ascetic denial and these are the two extremes that he elucidated to his uh, first uh, disciples as being these are the two wrong extremes one is indulgence in the senses one is suppression or asceticism so this middle way is is more like natural yeah, a natural peaceful moderate quality yeah. this is the epitome of, of, of Buddha's practices and, and essentially natural Natural, like like natural, like a tree growing. Yeah. Something that grows by itself is not induced by the mind. It's not an opinion, not a view, not a belief, uh, not a passion. So it's not something we believe in or hold dogmatically with our. Dogma, dogmatic mind is not something that stirs up passion, sensual mind is not emotionally you know, excited or depressed, it's level. So this is the nature, it's not that which is imposed upon by the mental conditioning. This is the essence of it, it's not a quality that has been uh, in, created by the mind. It's not a quality that has been subject to the mind. It's not a quality that has uh, been uh, moderated through opinions, through views, through beliefs, through passions, through aversion, through ideology. It's just something that stands clear of that and we can bring our attention onto that, this quality. So it's, it's in a way it's innately has a certain freedom from mental disposition, mental obsession, mental proclivities. So this in a way is the is the entry into liberating from mental proclivities, mental passions, mental grips, mental views, called asava, hindrances, um, clinging, all this 
is not of the body <laughs> it's of the mind the problem is not the body the problem is the mind so all this time he was really dealing with the wrong thing not really dealing directly with the mind so and breathing happens independently of the mind that is you know whether you're good or bad you breathe whether you're a murderer or a saint you breathe whether you're drunk or stone cold sober you breathe Uh, whether you're a mystic in a trance or just driving your car to work you breathe (laughs) breathing happens it's a gift it's a given it's a natural gift it's in some ways essentially it stands independently of one's mental emotional even ethical inclinations now these inclinations are uh, uh, this is in the dependent origination ignorance Uh, and ignorance as it acts as it becomes active generates uh, afflictive sankara sankara formations the word is not so easy to translate but we know the experience something concocts sankara has the sense of something slightly artificial that's being concocted created and when there is ignorance these concoctions carry the delusions and the wrong views they activate them so our attention, our mental attention becomes absorbed in those confusions, beliefs, views uh, vipalasas, distortions so uh, again, you know, just to rehearse once again our Buddhist practice is how do we liberate from those qualities how do we liberate our mind, our awareness from these obsessive uh, clouds, obscurations ignorance, obsessions well the theme is if you apply your mind to something that can help to is not obsessed with these gradually the mind will drop will come out like you're pulling something out of a stuck state by giving it something to hold on to that is not stuck or less stuck and for this purpose we attend to mindfulness of breathing and we sustain mindfulness we keep attending to it mindfulness of breathing so this is the general uh, perspective of course mindfulness of breathing isn't the only thing to cultivate but it is uh, it's often seen as a central for meditation and I imagine those of you who practice meditation degree to which you practice you'll all come back you'll come down you'll come to this and try to practice with this now if we look at the way the Buddha uh, expressed or most coherently and most fully gave his teachings on mindfulness of breathing we see there are 
as again from a, if you've studied this you see there are certain what are called clusters of four tetrads which refer to uh, first of all the more bodily aspect of the breathing uh, and the second tetrad refers more to the uh, mental, a- mental activations that occur uh, and the third tetrad refers to the more purified uh, mind and the fourth tetrad refers to the wisdom of reviewing this. So the first three tetrads deal mostly with moderating, calming, steadying the mind from its obsessive energies, its, its dullness, its, its raging, its, its um, unsteadiness, its restlessness. And as you know in your meditation, this is often what you're dealing with, just these, these energies. The energies may of course have topics, so you may have particular things we think about, particular topics we think about that cause us concern or that excite us. But with those, there's also an energy that keeps them moving fast. Or, or spins them round. Don't you experience that sense of you're your either spinning or jumping or feeling completely flat and heavy? Now that quality is energy. And so if we're thinking about calming, we're referring to energy. Energy is that which moves, therefore it can be calmed. If we're feeling dull, energy can be can rise. And ideally, the process of calming is to establish a steady state energy. In the steady state energy, we can review more clearly and comprehensively the factors of mind as they're arising and see clearly their nature. And this is the process of samatha and vipassana, how these two uh, limbs of Buddhist meditation practice come together. Now when the Buddha explains the first tetrad, he says one is aware of breathing out. One sits at the root of a tree, spine erect, bringing mindfulness of breathing to the fore, to the forefront of one's attention. So he definitely encourages uh, something that gives us a sense of being with nature and the sense of what a tree is like. It's rooted in the ground, it's got a firm, upright uh, trunk, and it's got a canopy to it. Yeah. Now this is clearly it's just we don't all live under trees. Um, none of us do actually, I'd imagine. But still, the image is there as a useful one to get the sense of that earth, ground, uh, straightness of a tree. Also, something quite natural, and something that's got a spread canopy. We feel cool and shaded. And the Buddha spent most of his life living with trees. And he got enlightened under a tree, born under a tree, passed away under a tree. He loved being with trees. Because <laughs> to him they seem to, to represent and maybe bring up a certain quality of that natural, ground, rooted quality, steady, straight, upright, and also sheltering. And this is a nice thing to consider. Uh, anyway, then breathing in, breathing out, and then contemplating the uh, long breathing in, long breathing in, short, and then um, breathing in, experiencing the entire body, kaya, 
and then breathing in, breathing out, uh, calming uh, uh, the kaya sankara. So it refers this process, both you know, accessing and calming the kaya sankara, kaya body. Now in all this he doesn't actually mention being aware of one's nostrils or one's abdomen, diaphragm or any particular place. There's no mention in the suttas of this of him designating a particular piece of anatomy. Uh, but this is often what people would, will go to because it gives a sense of a definite focus. Uh, and that's understandable, definite focus, then you can hold it there. But just bear in mind it isn't actually taught by the Buddha. It's maybe a skillful means. What is taught is the sense of the rhythm. Every phrase, every every one of these tetrads is the phrase is always, you know, uh, being where the entire body one breathes in, being where the entire body one breathes out. So you might say there's something rhythmic there. Yeah. In and out, in and out, in and out. Now if you notice the sensations of the breathing, breathing in and breathing out, they're quite similar, but the energy of breathing in is quite distinct from the energy of breathing out. Energy of breathing in has a brightening quality to it, and the energy of breathing out has a cooling quality to it. So in daily life, you you know, if you're excited, you say, Well, oh, take a breather. <sighs> and you breathe out. Or Oh, we've got to go to work now. Breathe in. Here we go. You know, <laughs> isn't that normal? You know, when you're about to rise up to an occasion, you take a in breath, psychologically, emotionally, and physically. And when you've finished your work, you take an out breath, both physically and psychologically and emotionally. Correct. And this is just natural, isn't it? You've probably never really thought that much about it. But the breathing out has a psychological effect. We think, ah, done, enough. And the energy changes. So these energies then cross between the body and the mind. In this sense, the body and the mind are really very close to each other. And this, on an energetic level, on the level or the experience of energy, the body and the mind are very closely interwoven. So we're not talking about the body as what we see with our eyes, the flesh body, but the subjective inner experience of the body. I can't see this body with my eyes. (laughs) You know, when I look at you, but I can certainly know it's here because I can feel a sense of the warmth and the breathing in and the breathing out. Now this body, this felt here and now energy body, is a key to steadying, understanding the mind. If my body feels tense and tight, I know my mind is tense and tight. Uh, It's a key to understanding the mind, and it's also a key to managing and handling the mind. And the point being, of course, that sometimes we don't really even know clearly what our mind is doing. We get so convinced of its opinions and views we don't realize we're getting angry I'm not being angry I'm just being clear and firm and decisive but I'm not angry it sounds pretty angry to me we can actually think we're not angry yeah 
the mind is able to delude us. This is awija, ignorance. But you feel this tension in your throat and your chest and your fingernails tightening up. You know you're angry or, you know, you know passionate. You, and your body knows it. Uh, so we need to know that. And also, oh, now if you relax that, then you can't sustain the quality of passion or anger. You can't do it. If you relax your body, you can't do it. You can't have a dogmatic opinion if you relax your body and feel it. Say, well, maybe you're right. I don't know. Could be this. This is my way of seeing it. But <laughs> you can't have that hard stuff if your body is relaxed. It's impossible to be miserable with a bright body. Like you can't get depressed if your body's sitting up, open, and you're breathing. You can't. To depress, you've got to sink down, flatten your chest. Let your head come over and let your breath go stale. You sit like that, sooner or later you will get depressed. <laughs> the energy goes down, you feel, what's the point anyway? It's all a waste of time. And, uh, meditation is not going to get you anywhere, let's face it. <laughs> you know, so your body energy goes like that, then you get depressed. So these are things that we can recognize. So this sense of really maybe finding it paramount importance to steady and brighten the body energy now where is this in the sutta so we look at breathing in breathing out that's certainly the energy form where of the entire body so this is when you don't not looking at your fingernails or your feet you're aware internally of this experience of the body as it breathes in and breathes out and as you experience the body as it breathes in, breathes out, it feels like a, a form. You know, it's not a visual form, but it's a, a felt form. It feels warm, it feels expansive. Yeah. And you can feel also whether it feels tense or relaxed or numb. Yeah. So you get a sense of that. And then soothing. Thoroughly, thoroughly sensitive to pati samvedi, thoroughly pati sam, completely vedi, feeling thoroughly sensitive to the entirety of the body, one breathes in and breathes out. So just imagine widening the focus. So you're sensitive to the entire form as you breathe in and breathe out, and this will allow the energy to gently travel through the entire form and it begins to both calm and steady now if you notice you'll find that when there are powerful emotions or a lot of thinking what happens is you only have part of your body and I, I would think many people in a day the part they experience their body they, they live up here in the eyes and the forehead live here and you look around from here and you realize there's something down there a mouth in there you put the coffee in food in and then rest of it well we'll deal with that later because i'm up here i live here this little zone here yeah so and then if i'm uh confused i'm not aware of my legs i'm probably aware of pulsing qualities around my heart if i feel frightened i feel tension in my belly so that we feel very localized 
these powerful emotions localize our body experience. They don't get, we lose the whole body, we lose the back, definitely. We lose the completeness of the out-breath, often the breath changes. So this instruction is to stay in the fullness of the body because it's less affected, less distorted by emotional, mental pressures. Now the body formation or Kaya Sankara and in another sutta, uh, I think the Mahavedala or Chula Vedala Sutta, uh, Dhammadina the nun says uh, mindfulness, mindfulness of breathing, th- of breathing in, breathing out, this is the Kaya Sankara. Uh, so this is what it means. It means, and so how is that a bodily formation? Because breathing in and breathing out gives the experience of this subtle body. Breathe in, we feel it expand. Yeah. We breathe out, we feel it soften. We breathe in, we feel it expand. We breathe out, we feel it soften. So this is an energy form, waves of energy. And when you consider it, this body, in order to breathe in and out, has to have sensitivity. It seems to know when it's had enough breathing in and breathe out. We don't have to think about it. So it's an intelligent energy. It both operates how we breathe and the breathing itself gives energy. This is the Kaya Sankara, that which generates energy and that which is um, um, moderates energy through breathing. So this quality then, and as you where if you break that word anapana, sati down, yana, in, out, pana, breath. You look in the part, in the precepts, pana, tipata. We refrain from destroying breathing creatures. So here the breathing is glossed as living. So breathing in this respect means those creatures that have the sentient life force. We refrain from killing creatures that have this pana which means the breathing sensitive life force and if you practice yoga you might have heard of pranayama which is the same word Sanskrit version and this you deliberately moderate your breathing to generate particular energies to calm, to steady, to draw energy up your spine through breathing in and out Clearly, the air does not travel up your spine, but the energy does. So, in this, just bear in mind that in that Indian understanding, and I think also the Chinese understanding, the Asian understanding, pana is an en- is an energy form. It's not just anatomy; it's an energy form that can be trained, moderated, and harnessed. To for very powerful uh, spiritual purposes. In the scripture, then this can be used, and it's being used as the process of feeling the entire body steadying and smoothing out the energies in the body. If we use more ordinary language, you might say our nervous energy, whether we're jumpy, passionate, tense. Or, or lack of energy it steadies 
and smooths all that. So the Buddha says, this you do, and then you move on to the qualities of piti, which is a joyful, rapturous experience that arises when the body's kaya-sankara has been steadied. And this is where the hindrances are put aside. So we experience the quality of piti, rapture, an up, a brightened state, and then sukha, a happy, comfortable state, and with these you also calm and steady the citta-sankara, the emotional energy. <coughs> so body, mind, and sankara mean the formative quality. So with the body, it's a formative quality that began when we were born. So it's been conditioned, it's conditioned by birth. When you were in the womb, you weren't doing it. As you come out, you switch it on. It goes on, that's its, that's its, it's a creation, but it's created by life itself. And it goes on until finished, dead. That's the creation of Sankara. Jitta Sankara is different. It's generated, and it's something we can moderate within this life. And uh, in the Buddhist understanding, you can free the jitta from Sankara without dying. In fact, this is the deathless. Now, we're perhaps going beyond the boundaries of this particular talk, but I, I just saying there are, there are far-reaching implications in handling this uh, Sankara quality and the theme of Anapanasati is you start handling the bodily Sankara and this leads you into being able to handle the Jitta Sankara the, which is the psychological, emotional, uh, mental energies that can be so agitated and obsessive calming, steadying them and then purifying and releasing and developing wisdom from that. This of course, you know, is kind of stuff. Themes of Buddhist talks and discussions and suttas uh, of many kinds. I like to focus back on this quality of Kaya Sankara and, you know, lead back to why we're do, doing Qigong. <laughs> <clears throat> basically <clears throat> personally speaking uh, um, because it was just something that somebody um, offered to to show the monks he thought it would be uh, for their welfare just open offer and so he gave us some simple classes and at that time I had so much back problems with my back uh, that it was very difficult to eat to sit straight I, had to, I was looking at things to support my back. I was always having to go to the osteopath, get my back fixed. I had back fixed. I had some broken, uh, some break, uh, bone breakage, and also some disc d destruction, and also some twistedness in the back. Back is is out of alignment, so the back was quite painful. And I sit, hold it with determination, and sometimes it just couldn't. You know, I'd have to lie on the floor. <clears throat> so then we started doing these these qigong moves uh, 
and cut a long story short it's one thing it's done is it's vastly improved my my back I sit fine but, you know, it vastly improved my my back my physical back and um, that's one thing I'm very grateful for so for that one could sit upright and you feel that the upright posture is much is desirable as a process for allowing your breath to be very full and complete and keeping your your uh, self awake this is a very mundane uh, but necessary um, advantage further uh, began to contemplate the very quality of, of this subtle energy that arises or becomes more aware of through some of these qigong moves and they're beginning to draw conclusions yeah, so essentially the, the pana is energy bodily energy life force energy associated with breathing qi is an energy a life force energy <laughs> that affects the body maybe the two have similar or even the same thing and so in my own experience then this is something that I've begun to be more confident about that the very energy that moves through the body is what's meant by Pana and breathing it out is the central moderating force within that So breathing it out will moderate that, but before it can moderate it, the breathing it out itself has to be made clear, bright, and complete. And in teaching mindfulness of breathing over over many years, and listening to people in interviews, uh, what people come back with, people say, "Ah, oh, yes, I guess I can't do it." brain and you're thinking all the time I just feel so tense and tight I'm trying to focus on this point in my nostril I can't find it at all I can't meditate I can't do it I try really hard to do it and they're getting more and more tense and um, you know I just give up I can't manage it you know, every time I was breathing okay until I started being mindful of it You know, I could breathe it out quite normally. Then I started being mindful of it. Oh no, everything became tight, constricted. I felt pain. I felt uncomfortable. I felt stressed. And uh, you know, surely this can't be right. I mean, mindfulness of breathing is supposed to be. And the Buddha is saying, I call this a comfortable abiding, a pleasant abiding. Uh, it makes me feel fresh. It, it, my eyes feel good. This can't be the same. <laughs> What's happening? What's happening? The mind yeah, is, is affecting the breath. Before we brought it to our attention, breathing wasn't a problem. We had other problems, also, which were also because of our attention. Thinking about this, thinking about that, attitudes. And very often for people these days, the work mind, the work mind, the work mind rushing forward the work mind determined to get things done 
the work mind anxious about not getting it good enough, the work mind desperate in a hurry to achieve results, the work mind tightening up to make sure they got it exactly the way it should be, the work mind stress, 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 and the mind gets conditioned into that kind of behavior. Anything we think is important, anything we think we really should achieve, the work mind gets hold of it. Yeah. So you were breathing okay till you till you started to think it was important, and you thought it was going to give you good results. Important, good results, go to work. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. So it is important. We do want good results. Yeah. There is certainly an, a process and a progress in this, so it must be the work, does it? I don't think so. You know, now you look in the time of the Buddha, the Buddha's living under trees, living out in nature, his followers are living out in the forests, in the jungle, they, maybe some of them have a, a cow. They're not going to work. Even when they do work, it's like, what time? They don't have clocks, they're not commuting. They don't jump in their cars and commute to work. They don't have the bosses are going to fire them. They're not looking at productivity. <laughs> they just grow some rice and, you know, get a few chickens maybe. And, and then the summoners, they aren't even doing that. They're just living out under trees. So there's, isn't that work mind? They can certainly put energy in, but it's not that same compulsive, tight, up-in-your-head state of the worker who lives up in the, behind their eyes in their forehead looking at their mobile phones looking at their cars looking at their computers looking at the, uh, the screens up in their head you know, this is the work mind it's up here so then we think okay Anapanasati right let's get to work on that and we go up to our heads Tighten up the brain, tighten up the mind, tighten up the face. Get con- we think this is called concentration. <laughs> well, the English word concentration can be applied to that, but that's not samadhi. There's no pity, happiness, sukha, ease, comfort. That's not there. And it is it's sad because there's a true sincerity, and a true determination to cultivate, but we're doing it with the wrong energy. Right, hey, right idea, right theory, right aspiration, wonderful resolve, but we're using the wrong energy. Now the Buddha is saying there's a natural energy that happens by itself. Breathing in, breathing out happens by itself. Breathing out happens by itself. Breathing in happens by itself. There's an energy flow there. This is what we should get in touch with. With a, with a kind of quality of attention that can maintain that focus. Yeah. And it's not a focus up in our forehead which is where we so often assume it should be we call it watching the breath watching the breath 
I've never seen a single breath. <laughs> Maybe on a very cold morning you might see a bit of mist. Most of the time I've never seen a breath. And I've been practicing for years. And when I look in the sutta, it doesn't the Buddha never says watch the breath either. He says be mindful of breathing in and breathing out. Mindful not of a process of breathing and breathing out. There is another way that we could attend to that, rather than with this idea of up in your head, looking at it with your eye, with your tightening your attention. And yes, there is. Now, when you cultivate qigong, you take a standing position. Is the normal standing like a tree? You bring your awareness particularly down to your feet, your ankles, and build it up. And you spread, gradually build your, spread your awareness from the soles of the feet up through the body, through the spine, through the trunk, into there till you cover the entire body is held in alignment, called it balance. Yeah? So you're definitely attentive, yeah? you're fully aware, your mind isn't wobbling, jumping around, dithering, confused. It's actually firmly based on the entire body as an energy form. And we focus on the quality of balance. Balance. Yeah. Now you can't do that with a thought. You can't think balance, but your body can feel it. You can sense it. So you realize this body is sensitive to quality of balance, which itself is rather pleasant because there's no stress in balance. Balance means the absence of <laughs> stress. Yeah? We're not inclining to left or right, forward or backward. It's free of bodily bias. It's free of pressure. It's as stress-free as you can get when you balance. And there's an energy there becomes apparent that's holding your body up. You learn to relax as much of your muscles as possible and you just feel yourself being held. This is called standing like a tree. And the awareness is spread over the entire body. And as you stand like that, sustaining that awareness, there is a way of holding attention that is not narrow, it's not constrictive, it's not conducive to stress, and yet it is very carefully held. And use a wide focus. Now within that, <coughs> as you stand with that, you can begin to experience, within that you sense this rhythm starting to, oh there's breathing. Soft, rhythmic process. And you feel the energy of it, vitality of it and the way that the whole body can feel that it's no longer so constricted so this gives <coughs> a, a very good way in my experience of both um, improving bodily posture improving one's uh, changing one's idea or impression of what the body is about so it's not just this thing we see with our eyes or have, uh, it's not the flesh body, it's an energy body. 
it's something we begin to see is quite natural you know, you know it, it, it's not mentally derived it's not an opinion or a view it's neither something we feel proud of or worried about it's free of those mental proclivities it happens by itself it's naturally refreshing and it's naturally sustaining and it's naturally calming and it's naturally clearing from tension dullness, restlessness hindrances the energies of the hindrances when the body is bright and open like that hindrances find it very difficult to get in and so you cultivate like that so some of the simple qigong movements that one can cultivate we're not here to teach qigong but just to mention you know the 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 connections uh, the result of it is that the body loses its its tensions and congestions it becomes a happy place for one's awareness to sit and breathing happens to you quite naturally in other words you don't have to search for it you find it it comes to you it comes into your awareness yeah. you don't have to decide where to focus you feel it you feel it as it's happening as it's happening and you feel that you trained your mind to be more receptive to a natural process than proactive to create something and this means that the mental obstructions and the mental proclivities and particularly the ones we experience as the mindset that I call the work mind these are laid aside and instead we feel the natural harmony, peace and vitality that the Buddha must have experienced in his own process of awakening so then we are truly breathing like a Buddha how do you think the Buddha breathed? it's can't get his breath or is it just open, chest open, shoulders relaxed enjoying the bliss of breathing in and breathing out nature, nature manifesting in this way so I've talked quite a lot so I'll pause now and offer this for your reflection and so let yourself uh, take a few moments I'm not in a particular hurry and if you sit quietly you might have some questions or things you'd like to me to explore or comment on and then I'll be happy to field your 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 queries and inquiry <laughs>